0: We didn't announce a sermon text today, but it is Romans chapter 15, verses 5 through 7, which uh, most of you will recognize as a return passage for us, because we were just here in August in Romans 15. We're in between series. We've just finished a a series on Joseph and Jacob, his father, and and we're going to go to Mark chapter 12. We'll look at Mark chapter 12 the rest of this month on through December. There's a passage within Mark 12 that will fit nicely with Christmas, so a uh, good time to, to spend time with uh, the Lord in, in that particular chapter in Mark's gospel. But with the congregational meeting tonight, and to reiterate what uh, Seth said, we uh, really love to have your, your presence here uh, tonight. Uh, it's important if you're a member of our church, we just ask you to uh, take that seriously and, and return tonight and be part of the meeting at 6 o'clock. Uh, today is State of the Church Sunday, and, you know, the longer I think about State of the Church, it sounds so auspicious, and, and I am wearing a suit, uh, but, you know, I don't mean it to be uh, this great formality uh, with, you know, congressional overlords behind me sort of a thing, um, but this Sunday uh, gives us an opportunity or gives me an opportunity from the pulpit to address things that don't really fit anywhere else, sermon-wise. Uh, It's a one-shot Sunday and not to take shots, I don't have any critiques uh, to give, but to address these 1,000-day windows that we operate in now, Uh, we call them critical initiatives and um, they're ways that we work out the mission of our church. The mission of our church is to glorify Jesus Christ and magnify his gospel in all of life until he comes. And so we now have a 1,000-day pattern of certain initiatives that take place that that give, uh, that give some action to that. And that pairs well our mission with, uh, with what's here in Romans 15. So if your Bible's open by book or electronically, Romans 15 verses 5 through 7, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is God's Word. Here in this month, we're at a juncture between the thousand days just passed, uh, the initiatives that mark those thousand days, and the next round, the next thousand days. I've wrestled with uh, how to do this best this morning. I'm not going to preach the initiatives themselves, that was sort of what I wrestled with. To be honest, I wrote two sermons and tore them up and uh, they just weren't working. And there are four initiatives this time, there were five last time, and we'll put them on everything as we do. Uh, you'll see them from the parking lot inside, all the classrooms, even on your coffee mug, you'll have the icons and and we're still settling on some terms. We know we know the gist of what we're trying to do and... and uh, This morning is not any big reveal, Uh, we don't hype things here, but I I will draw some attention in the course of looking at this passage to the next round of initiatives and the ones just passed. Also, I I want and need to do a little more than that with this message. But looking at Romans 15, uh, I want to take a funnel approach to this as we uh, start wide considering evangelicalism as a whole, Uh, this movement that we participate in, evangelical in our name, First Evangelical Church, what's going on in evangelicalism as a whole, I won't say a lot about that, just a little bit, and and then move, as a funnel does, down to some implications in these particular initiatives for our church. And I want to use this pairing in verse 5 as the funnel, endurance and encouragement. If you look back up in the passage to verse 4, you see that this rolls uh, from verse 4, verse 4 of Romans 15, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, there's the two, we might have hope. And then he rolls right into that, that God is a God of endurance and encouragement, not one or the other. But simultaneously, both, working in both, with both, through both, so that verse six, we glorify Him as a, as a harmonious unit, the church in the world seeking to to glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which again dovetails with the mission of our church, the mission of our church being the the glorification of Jesus Christ, the magnification of his gospel in all of life, so we don't live uh, in, in categories, this, this, this weaves uh, its way through all of, uh, of our, uh, everything that, that fills our days until he comes. For now, until Jesus does, looking at this pairing in verse 5 here, endurance and encouragement, for, for now we tend to have an either or relationship to endurance and encouragement. Encouragement good, endurance bad. Unless you're you know, like an extreme athlete or something, you go seeking uh, enduro trials and such. But, but we want out of endured difficulties, of course we do, we're human. We want to get beyond sufferings we're enduring, we want to get over to the other side of, of whatever is opposite the bleak time or circumstances we might be enduring because we tend to think that encouragement is over there when the endurance is, is finished, when the difficult thing is past. It's over on the, the other side. That, that's when I'll be encouraged, when I get out of whatever it is that I'm enduring. But I've been learning it, it's it, it really is both. Endurance and encouragement is something that God keeps together, it, it's, it's together in his own person, the God of, this is part of his character, endurance and encouragement both. And I've been learning this, particularly this year, as this has not been a, an easy year for me personally in many respects, very difficult year in a lot of ways. And so I've, I've been learning that encouragement is not an experience waiting for me on the other side if I can just get to 2020, <laughs> It'll have to be better. Uh, it, it's not a, a a thing that is out there on the other side of what I'm enduring, but it's a, encouragement is a thing that comes alongside, and is even inside the thing that we're enduring, whatever it is. And, and that may not sound to you like a world-beater insight, but to be a churchman, which I, I want to be, not just as someone who works for the church, but but a churchman through, throughout. For for us all to be not just attenders, but churchmen and church women, we have to embrace how endurance and encouragement mix together. How they coexist. And the reason is because we find the church not sometimes encouraging and sometimes a lot to endure. There are hills and valleys in, in everyone's experience, but the church is always a mashup of both together. Encouraging things and things to endure at the same time. Eugene Peterson called the church equal parts mystery and mess. And he wasn't taking a shot. He was rather speaking to standard experience as we await the Lord's return until he comes. That's the perfection of the church. At this point we, we won't experience the perfection of the church. We'll get glimpses of it but, but never the authentic thing until, until the Lord is back. Encouragement is available inside endured experience alongside that thing that may not get better. I may continue to have to endure it. And if it doesn't get better, whatever it is, that doesn't mean I'm, I'm without encouragement because God is the God of endurance and encouragement, not one or the other, both together. Now let me apply this, this idea of a funnel broadly with evangelicalism and, and then narrowing to First of Ann, keep, keeping endurance and encouragement together. I can say I've never been more personally encouraged to be at First of Ann, to be a First of Vanner than now. And that has so much to do, uh, there's, there's many uh, things that factor into that, but it has so much to do with, with how well you treat me and my family. How good you are to us, and how God has used you. When I first arrived here, almost 17 years ago, uh, a broken church planner. That work that I'd been involved in, it felt like it had been ripped away from me, and 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 my heart was still in Murfreesboro for a good year and a half. I couldn't enjoy being here, and 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 you're in your own way. You don't know that you do it, but in your own way, you were a healing place for me, and I found myself. This year, uh, in need of healing again, and in your own way, times you weren't even aware uh, God was using you as a healing agent and is still using you as a healing agent for me in some ways that I need. So I experience a lot of encouragement at First Event. I mean, we've got things to work on, sure. That's the point of the critical initiatives. And if you say, well, I don't even know the critical initiatives exist. We need to work on that too, you know. (laughs) Um, they're all over the place by the way, they're in the parking lot, they're in every room, they're on the coffee mug, they're on your bulletin, you know, if you say I don't know what they exist, like somebody said, I do not know John Piper was speaking here this week, read your bulletin. And then they go, well I don't read the bulletin, you go, well this is my problem, you know, I mean come on, Yeah, we got things to work on, sure. That's the point and that's the opportunity of initiatives. That's that's why we have a mission and why we take the mission seriously. We don't put it in your face all the time, but we work on it. But there there, there is a lot that's good and strong here. However, you knew there was a butt coming. Looking at broader evangelicalism, the big rim of the funnel, I find I've never felt more like I'm enduring things that have infected our public witness. Uh, namely how tribal evangelicalism has become. You know, you read in First Corinthians 3 where Paul says, you know, some of you follow Apollos and some of you follow Peter and, and some of you follow Paul and, and some of you say I follow Christ and it, it's, it's like ancient Twitter, you know. Uh, and it's, it's nuts. It's nuts what we're doing to ourselves in full view of the watching world. And, and, and that has been something I've had to endure. Um, we don't have a sense of the common good. We think of ourselves first and what satisfies our little, our little niche and our little, our little group. Uh, it's like walking into a gym where you, you're expected to play pickup games and, and everybody's got their own ball <laughs> and they're playing by their own rules. I've done some teaching and I'm doing some writing currently on what it means to be an evangelical from a pastoral perspective. There are books out now they are more from a scholarly perspective. It may become a book. It's probably just going to be a booklet for in-house use here. But if I asked you, first of Ann, you who have the name evangelical, the word evangelical in the name of your church, if I asked you to define evangelical, how do you think you'd make out? I'm not going to put you on the spot. Nobody's going to come up and take the mics and say, well, I think it's this, this, and this. Uh, do you know what goes in the center of the word evangelical and then what belongs on the peripheries? That There was a time, uh, we've always been a varied movement, but there was a time that was a lot clearer for people. And now it is not self-evident for many uh, who an evangelical is anymore, what evangelicalism is. Let's do this. Let's pretend we're at a spelling bee. All right, you're the speller and I'm the judge. And I give you your word, evangelical. And you ask uh, me to sound it out for you. And I say evangelical, uh, short e, like the name Evan, as opposed to evangelical. And let's say this is a spelling bee where you can argue with the judge. And so you have formed me, you think it ought to be pronounced with the long E. And I tell you, yes, it does get pronounced that way, but I don't prefer the long E pronouncement. It sounds like the vowel got religion and wants to handle serpents. You know, all them evangelicals over there, you know. You ask me for word origin, I tell you it's from Greek, derived from the word for gospel. That's what evangelical means. It's from the Greek word for gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And you ask why such a big word for such a a simple message then you ask me to use the word in a sentence and so I say something like uh, the gospel is simple but evangelicals are complex and there's our spelling bee see there's endurance and encouragement both in that reality we remain a people associated with the gospel Jesus front and center First to last, the only chosen one, the gospel being the only thing that can harmonize people who otherwise have no earthly reason to to try to get on the same music, to harmonize, to have one voice as the passage. The gospel is the only real tuning for to bring that about, what verses 5 and 6 and 7 are saying here. Evangelicals remain a people of the gospel. the gospel and donuts, apparently. Uh, I say this because one of my daughters went to a Catholic church recently with a friend. And uh, we were asking her afterwards, well, what was it like? And she was telling us differences, she noticed. And one of the differences was, oh, and they don't serve donuts. They serve fruit. And I said, see, evangelicals are better. Uh, you missed out. Evangelicals remain the people of the gospel. Be encouraged by that. God hasn't gone anywhere. Be encouraged by that. But we've also got to square with the fact that our label, evangelical, is a hurdle in public perception like it's never been. And I tell you, look, if you are sharing your faith, if you're interacting with non-Christian people, you know this. If you're not interacting with non-Christian people, you, you don't really have ever cause to think about this. If all your interactions is with Christians, you don't think about it. But you talk to somebody who's not a Christian and you mentioned an evangelical. And, and what does not forefront first come to mind are people who are following the Lord Jesus Christ and look like him. And I don't say that to blame us or to shame us. It's just the reality of where we are. And, and we should have the integrity to admit the reason that our word, evangelical, is uh, no longer um, punchy in the right ways. Is because it's not due to the offense of Christ. It's because we are hyper-politicized. Absolutely, it's why it's that way. And I endure this, uh, but I remain in uh, by conviction because I know what's in the center. And all I've ever asked is that I would be allowed to be an evangelical. Uh, don't ask me to be a progressive. Don't ask me to be a fundamentalist. I don't go to the extremes. And evangelicals aren't in the mushy middle ground where compromise uh, sits. We're we're in the center. And that is uh, the place where we affirm the authority of Scripture, we affirm the necessity of the new birth uh, through the cross of Christ. Uh, We affirm a a certain kind of spiritual formation that emphasizes discipleship and and spiritual disciplines. And and we relate to culture as a a mission field. That's that's the core distinctives of evangelicalism. Historically it's been that way, classically it's that way. Uh, Today we've departed from that. But if, if you're an evangelical, that means you affirm the authority of the scriptures, the highest religious authority. You, you affirm the necessity of the new birth through the cross of Jesus Christ. You affirm spiritual formation, the vitality of it, and you relate to culture as a mission field. And relating to culture as a mission field certainly involves welcome. Look at verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another in Christ Jesus as Christ has welcomed you. In Christ Jesus is understood for the glory of God. Let me touch on initiatives here. Last time, last thousand day go around, prioritize welcome. This word here in verse 7 starts from among ourselves, welcome does and it it moves out from us. The next go around, next thousand days we have more to do in this vein, both in-house and also moving out from us. Most people visiting a church want to feel welcomed, even if they want to be anonymous and and left alone, they still want to feel like it's a friendly place. On the ground here, just thinking now in the neck of the funnel, first of Anne's experience, we we do this pretty well and we want to keep it up and we we want to develop this further. But this welcome in verse 7, you already know it's more than greeting. I mean, look at it. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That's more than just greeting. That moves to inclusion that seeks to close distances. Why do I, how do I get that? Well, Jesus closed the distance that existed between us and God. So if this welcome is premised on who he is and what he does, he's the one who brings us close. He's the one who reconciles and makes us agents of the same. In our last thousand-day initiatives, there were five, 2016 to 2019 here, we focused more on in-house needs and improvements. That's where we began. Much of it uh, uh, pertained to welcoming one another. There were some guests coming in the door items, how we present ourselves to new people, but one of the bigger uh, aspects of it was uh, the need for our church to practice welcome by all coming into the same room here for worship. We had two services before that. So two years ago with a number of years leading up to it, uh, we got into the same room here and that felt really risky to do. I've, my beard became totally gray during that time. Um, Getting us all in here required contending with everyone's preferences and they are all over the board. They run the entire continuum. Uh, Still does to some extent. We knew we might lose some folks immediately, gradually. We've also gained people. God's Spirit meets with us in this place Sunday after Sunday. Be encouraged. A thousand days ago, we recognized we needed to do things in-house to close generation gaps. We needed to practice welcome as inclusion that closes distances and begin among ourselves to do some things to appreciate the fact that we're intergenerational. Not to uh, endure it, though there's aspects of that and learning how to relate and learning one another, but to glean some encouragement. There's there's endurance and encouragement both in in moving generations together. I I was talking to a pastor friend of mine, African-American, uh, who is uh, leading in an, uh, a church that's got a lot of ethnic diversity? It's majority white, uh, but they've got twenty percent, thirty percent black congregation, and the rest uh, white. and And he was he was saying, man, uh, he said generational diversity is a lot harder. He said, what you've got is a lot harder because he said the reality is. Uh, the generations just clash and just pull in different directions. We, we do it as to worship, as to ways we see uh, our money, as to politics, etc and so on. And many times, I've, I've felt personally as senior pastor, like, I'm the hitch between the tractor and the trailer. Uh, not complaining. But that's, that just is. It's reality. Our diversity at First Advent is generational and moving forward in the next thousand days cycle, we're launching another initiative designed to keep generations moving toward one another, which we hope will be less about activities which we have at the same space, but we really do get into each other's lives as friends. Do you have friends that are 20 years younger than you? Do you have friends that are 20 years older? I mean, And you've worked on it, they're friends. We want that for everybody, I I have that, it's a blessing. Friendship and discipleship cross generationally. We, we want to be in each other's lives meaningfully and so we'll do some things in the next thousand days. We'll unfold some, some action steps as part of that initiative to try and foster more internal welcome and then see it work outward too, it's hoped. An important piece of this also, just while I'm on the generational uh, topic, is if you're in your 20s and 30s You've told us, by us I mean leaders, uh, and, and you've, a number of you in that age span have told us, uh, you often feel like the trailer. And what I'm about to say may sound critical to uh, the older generations. Uh, please don't take it so. It's really not meant critically. But our church does seem more attuned still to the older generations. My generation and older is the tractor. And the church—that means the church will adjust more readily uh, for older generations' needs and desires, and critiques and complaints. Again, please don't hear blame or shame in that. It's just a reality in an intergenerational church. And so, the work that we have to do is is taking our twenties and thirties and more meaningfully grafting them in uh, to to everything that we do, and leadership, and and the rest of it, where. We're all, if we become a church of true intergenerational welcome, all ages feel represented, served, heard, loved, and, and the, together with one voice glorifying God and, and, and through, the, through the Lord Jesus. But within this also, how God moves people, his, his people together, one of the things God is doing in wider evangelicalism now, back to the, the big part of the funnel, is, is he's breaking down racial barriers which the younger generations tend to be very, very passionate about. And what I've learned about passion is you don't damn it, you channel it. You help it move in the right direction. If you damn people's passions, they're just going to bust through that eventually and they're going to be very frustrated. God, through his spirit, is using young people to push on us older ones that there's work still for us to do in this area. God is at work in his people promoting welcome across racial lines over racial hurdles. Resulting in, in our not just visiting each other's spaces but inhabiting them, experiencing genuine friendship which genuine friendship will always turn into love if it's genuine friendship. More than just companionship, more than just acquaintances. So looking ahead in our next round of initiatives we have one that seeks to build fellowship with other ethnic congregations. Uh, we have no interest in taking anyone else's members, but we would like to see God put more people among us who don't look like the majority of us look in advance of what heaven is supposed to be like. People from everywhere. And our motivation of this, I know I know the times we live in and I know how tribal we get and Our motivation for this is not trying to keep pace with passing social movements, it's an eternal motivation, it's a Revelation 5 motivation. We're interested in doing what we can to give you the opportunity to experience what I've experienced the last few years, building friendships interracially and cross-culturally, good friendships, and realizing, man, there's things I need to learn, there's things I don't even know, uh, that that ways uh, that that I've, I've wounded and, and, and other ways that I help and, and I, I don't know all that until I make friends. And we got to open our homes to this, not just our, our shared church spaces. Over the next thousand days, we'll give ourselves to some steps in those directions and, and a little mantra that I've adopted is uh, steps before strides. We hope to see strides, but we need to see steps first. And so we'll do some things to to help us all with this. And as we do this, if you're somebody who's skeptical of it, I I just ask you, please don't read into our desire for multi-ethnic friendship, narratives, social narratives we're not pulling from. Please don't do that. Uh, There are a lot of things that swirl around race relations in this country that are just toxic. Um, Thinking about this initiative, we've been talking about it in leadership for months now, I, I had to start praying very purposely through some fears I, I had because the whole worship ordeal that I kind of inherited here when I, when I came into this position and it's taken years and it still takes work, uh, th- that's been difficult in a lot of ways. Again, taking nothing away from what I was saying earlier about how encouraged I am to be here, that uh, takes a lot out of you, to, to, to work a congregation that's very varied in their worship tastes. And, and I got worn out, and I had times where I just thought, if somebody else says something to me about worship, I am going to, you know, drive my truck into a tree. Um, I've been feeling that same anxiety about this because I realize there's pushback. And, and because I realize, see, it's not the thing itself. It's always the sins that surround it. It's, it, worship isn't difficult it's all the sins that surround it race relations isn't difficult it's all the sins that surround it and when you begin to press on something I'm not going to put it in your face I'm not going to but if you begin to press on something and make something uh, an issue people you go into the teeth of the clash and, uh, and so I've been having to pray through some anxiety now just sharing with you that I've processed some fears there's a larger backdrop to that and, and I, th- I think this is the right Sunday to pivot to the state of the pastor coming out of the thousand days we've just had and moving to the next round. I'm not trying to draw attention to myself uh, but my saying encouragement is not on the other side of the thing endured but alongside it and inside it, that's been a hard won insight for me. Um, it's emerged from within some very difficult experiences that began in our family about 4 years ago which i've been open about this place that i stand this pulpit these moments when we enter this room together each sunday as we do it it should be used to glorify jesus and magnify his gospel in all of life until he comes and that's what i aim to do with the space that i'm in every sunday uh, whatever series i'm teaching wherever we are in the bible but in doing this Sunday in and Sunday out through various kinds of challenges, uh, there have been some out Sundays for me that I still worked, uh, by which I, I mean the last four years have for me been the hardest trek of my life personally. And I'm not going to recount for you all the ways this year in particular uh, how it's been difficult. I am by need and necessity now being a little bit more private. I'll not be secretive with you, but I am being more private. I recognize transparency as a strength. Uh, But there's a cost for the one who does it, and while I don't think I've overshared, I do think I've overpaid. Uh, Taylor tells me there's a book uh, called uh, The Body Keeps Score. (laughs) And I will eventually, by this summer, have read it this next summer but this last summer I began to realize that I've passed through some real stresses if not traumas of life and, and I've preached all the way through it. I've just shown up and done my job. Uh, my primary way of dealing with things, some of the things you know about and, and others you don't, only a few do, has been to try to preach myself to a better state. Um, but if it's true, the body keeps score while I appear on Sundays from this piece of furniture to be moving the ball. Uh, I'm also a little slow to get up now, uh, to switch sports metaphors. You know, in my book, if you've read, read that, I, I lead with Roy Hobbs of The Natural. It's a baseball movie, how at the, the climactic at bat, he's bleeding through his jersey and he still hits a home run. And that picture is a couple dozen Sundays for me over the last thousand days. I don't think so highly of myself to think my sermons are home runs. But I don't have a better picture to offer you of what it's like to do your job well, have people affirm you in it, get the hits you're supposed to get. But no, you're not doing well emotionally, even when God is using you. I've learned that it's possible to utilize your gift and bless the church and all the while, feel this uh, this this great sense of my insides are on fire. Uh, my marriage is not in trouble. Okay, uh, I don't have some secret uh, life to confess. Slow to get up means you can still go. Uh, it, you can still play, but you've hurt something, and it needs care. Uh, I overheard a couple of old college football players here in the church talking one Sunday and they were kind of laughing about uh, how people think when they see a player go on injured reserve for something like turf toe. It's like toe, a toe? But then if you've had turf toe, <laughs> you know how the rest of your body is connected to a toe uh, and it needs care. Two years ago when I went public with some of our family pain, with Lynn's permission, um, it was because rumors were swirling, and we, we had it, what ended up being a grandson on the way. And, and we felt you needed to know not everything going on, but enough of what we're going through, and we still go through with a child and addiction. Uh, but I haven't ever, I have not ever liked being on display. I have really struggled with that. Um, and, and I've struggled with it for his sake, too. I know God uses it. I know it was the right thing to do. Uh, Trying to work some of that math out in front of you, before you, Psalm 40, opening up with that. I know God used it, Um, but it was also hard, and it's just taken a toll. I don't know how else to say it. Um, I can't regulate my emotions now. I can't. I try, and uh, I've got to unlearn some things. I've worked in... Uh, uh, more than through, and so I'm now seeking some therapy. All that to tell you, I'm in counseling. I don't know if that needs applause, but all right, I'll take it. And the reason I am is because I want to keep doing this. I want to keep doing this here. Uh, I don't want to go somewhere else and start over. I just take my own self with me. Uh, And and I'm doing this too because I love you and I'm grateful for you all the many ways my family is loved by you. I mean, we really have fared well here for almost 17 years now. I don't feel distant from God. I don't feel distant from y'all. I'm not burned out, but what I am realizing is there's a fault line in me uh, that I'm finally having to deal with, and it is that I hold a lot in. I stuff a lot. I try to hold it all down. I try to hold it all together. I really do try to keep up appearances uh, of having it all together. Pastors are especially bad that way. At least this pastor is. But after a while, when you do that, you deplete your capacities to be healthy internally. I mean, I'm healthy physically. I work out and don't eat a lot of donuts and, and uh, you know. And so I'm working at self-care now to try to get to a better place. And, I'm, and I've got some ideas to run by the session when we meet of uh, some counsel I've received of what I, what I think getting healthier emotionally will, will entail. I'll still be fully present to, to our church, but there'll they'll need to be uh, times that punctuate that where um, I'm able to do some things that are restorative. Um, You know, back in Romans 5, we're taught there that the things you endure are the very things that develop your character and your hope. And that we're supposed to take encouragement from that. And so by the time you get to Romans 15, he's just reiterating what he already kind of said in Romans 5 about that. But, though my hope has deepened uh, through all I've experienced. Again, some of it you know, don't, you know... Life is not terrible, um, but there's just been some things that have been hard all around the board, and, um, and some of it's made more hard by the way I take it. And so some things you know about, some things you don't. A few people do know about the things the collective don't, but my hope has deepened as well as my love for the Savior. I can honestly say I love Jesus more today than I've ever loved him, and I want to honor him and please him more today than I ever have. But Scripture never indicates, nor it doesn't say it in Romans 5 that I could see, looked at it in Greek too, or anywhere else, uh, that your character and hope has to develop at the expense of your emotional health. And so there's got to be a way to have growth through hard things that don't let up, that haven't changed, without feeling like you're burning up your insides all the time. See, I've been choosing to process things on the fly. And you crash when you do that at some point. I've been thinking, well, as long as I work out and maintain relationships and come and do my job, it'll all be fine. And then you just come to realize, no, I'm not fine. There's a lot of things I'm still struggling with. God's grace is real to me, God's church. Y'all have been givers of it, conduits of it, and you didn't, you didn't even know it at times, which, which makes you great and useful to God. And that's all we could ever really want as a church. I mean, really. Well, I've taken up all the time I need to. I'm going to call an audible on the last song. Where's Ken? Can we do Be Thou My Vision? Can you guys find Be Thou My Vision? Watch them scramble up there. No, they're not going to scramble because they're professionals. They know exactly where it is. We got the well, the hymn book, yeah, there's that too. <laughs> <clears throat> hey, listen. I wasn't going to say this, but I will now. Uh, I think that was the spirit's cue. Uh, the only bad thing about holding a hymn book is your, your hands aren't free. And uh, part of emotional health for me has been to get my hands out of my pockets in worship. Now, don't, wait, don't, don't, don't. Let's not do that because that singles out people who don't feel comfortable raising their hands. And that's okay. Okay. That's why I didn't want to say this. But Let's just have a little conversation about it right here. Um, I limited myself. I kept myself from doing that for years. It was part of my emotional retentiveness, okay? Because I didn't want people to think uh, things about me theologically, and that was just uh, mistaken, okay? So let's just make a deal, all right? I'd like to have some freedom. I'd like to be able to raise my hands if I want to. Um, And I'd like you to not conclude that means that I've changed my theology. And I'd like you to have that freedom, but I'd also like you to have the freedom to not do it and that nobody looks at you askance and nobody looks at me because the people who are looking askance have missed Jesus altogether in this and, and they need Jesus. And so let's just agree, could we? Uh, I need it for my emotional health. I need to be able to lift my hands. I mean, for years, y'all, I didn't do that. And I knew I should. And uh, and I did it privately, (laughs) you know. I was one of those closet guys in the closets, you know. (laughs) And it was the hardest thing to actually do that in here, because I'm up there. I'm not back there where it would have been a little easier to do. And and what does this mean? Well, it it means God, I identify with what is being said, and I need that. And my hands are open, and I want you to do the work in me that you're doing in others. John Piper was standing here with me Friday night, and I loved watching how he sang. Because that guy, as he would sing, he would do this. It's kind of how he did it. And he would, when, when there was emphatic points in songs, he'd make a point like this. Do that. And I thought, John Piper is doing that. I love that. I'd like to do that too. And again, I, I really am sensitive to those who that's not how, how you need to express. And that is okay. Please hear that. Okay, That's why I stopped the applause a minute ago because it, it's not about me. But I haven't done that in 17 years here and I'm doing it now. And I'm not trying to flout anything in your face, but I'm just trying to tell you that I got to have some freedom in that way. And so... Um, that's part of self-care, which can be very selfish, I realize, but it's also part of worship, right? I mean, it is part of what the Scriptures call us to do and praising. And, and one of the things I've got to learn how to do to get out of the emotional ditch I'm in, I've got to learn how to praise. I don't know how to do that. That's a terrible thing for a pastor to admit. I don't know how to praise. I mean, I've, I've had a very cerebral walk with God for 50 years. And so I, I, the emotions have to catch up. Don't be afraid. Okay. Um, we tend to fear that a little bit in our circles because, you know, cerebral is comfortable, intellectual is comfortable. Um, emotional is where it gets a little it's going to get out of bounds, you know. So, it's 12:02 and we're still on a, a white church clock. So, um, <laughs> let us uh, let us conclude at this point. We are, it's true. True. I'm just speaking truth. I haven't lost my ability to speak the truth. All right. Um thank you for putting up with me. Next next um uh, next Sunday we'll be in Mark and it'll be back to Cole preaching uh just a regular sermon. All right. But the Cole that preaches the regular sermon is also doing some things out of the pulpit to make sure that he knows how to praise, that he knows how to worship, that he knows how to love his people, and he knows how to take care of himself. So that's, uh, that's hopefully what you can pray for me in uh, on that. Uh, and if you ask me how I'm doing and I answer fine, just let me answer fine, okay? Uh, that helps me. All right, be thou my vision. Is it? It's up there It's ready to go. All right. Let's sing that together.